0: Mrs. Hintz-Bone, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I appreciate giving your time for this. As always, we're going to start with an, an important question is, would you mind sharing how you came to your faith in Christ?
1: Yeah, I grew up in an intact family. My parents were married. Um, they were college educated. And we went to church, but church was just something you did on Sundays. I never felt any connection throughout my life dip my week with mm. God. God was someone like you prayed that you would get a ticket at the top of your popcorn bag that you, that we got in school once a week because then you get a uh, extra popcorn and that was that was God. You know, it was just prayed for random things like that. So growing up I always felt uh this sense of lostness, a sense mm. of there of emptiness and wishing there was something more and not believing there was. Um that led to in seventh grade, I had a suicide attempt, um, and then we moved from state one state to another, so I didn't get help. I kind of pushed it pushed it under a lens, so to speak, where I can miss my parents. I'll never do it again. It was really stupid. Um, when actually, I was really struggling. I had depression. It turned into an eating disorder. Um, I struggled with anorexia. Then it went into bulimia. For multiple years and i had anxiety and i ripped my hair out i had something called trichotillomania mm-hmm. where i had mm-hmm. bald spots um behind my head when i was so stressed i would pull my hair out so all those things um led me to feel like a pretty horrible person so i went to a, a camp that summer and that was the first time i heard the whole gospel that christ knew my name he knew the number of hairs on my head he died for me he died for my sins and uh, it took me a while. I actually went and talked to the the speaker and said, what if your sins are so big? They're not the normal sins, but they're so big um, that they're probably maybe too big for God to want to forgive. And mm-hmm. his answer was, you're getting there. That's all he said. And He just let me, you know, let God work with me. Because to me, the suicide attempt was a big sin. The eating disorder was a big sin. There were some other major things. So I definitely felt like I was a pretty tainted person. Um, but God got through that week, and the image of a dry erase board and all of my sins on it, and then wiping it clean, and this clean slate was a picture that came to my mind. I remember sitting on the top of the mountain January 6, 1991, and inviting Christ into my life and feeling so relieved to have this clean slate from all these things that I felt unforgivable for. And so that was the beginning of a journey. Like six months later, I started getting counseling um, for my eating disorder and depression. Anxiety was, was not that bad at that point. And I started growing like crazy with, with uh, Christ. And uh, then over the course of a couple years of counseling and discipleship and having a mentor, um, I no longer had uh, an eating disorder, which was interesting because the counselors I went to said I would never get better. They said, you could go into remission, but it could always come back. There's no cure. But I'm a very stubborn person. And so my first Bible that I got with a concordance, I was a freshman in college, and I went into the concordance, and I looked up the word healing and heals, and I looked up every single scripture on it because I was convinced that God was going to heal me of this eating disorder. And so I found Psalm 103, verses 2 and 3, which says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of its benefits who pardons, heals, um, or pardons all your inequities and heals all your diseases. So I didn't tell anybody that scripture because I wasn't sure if the Old Testament was supposed to apply to you or not. <laughs> I just didn't understand those things yet. But I hid in my heart just convinced that God was going to heal me. And two and a half years later, so I did do lots of work, um, but uh, I, I was healed. And I have not had any relapse rem- you know, anything at all since then.
0: And you were about what age at that time?
1: Uh, 21. Mm. Yeah.
0: So, oh my goodness, there's so much to impact there. Thank you so much for sharing. <laughs> the first question is, uh, actually just pointing out that you said that you had the faith that God was going to heal your disease, but you also had to do a lot of work. Yes. Because I think a lot of times people will say just, they're just waiting around. Yeah, You know, like God's yeah. going to help me and just sitting and doing nothing. I don't think that's how it's supposed to be.
1: Yeah, you're right. I I had to learn. Somehow growing up, I learned to not have a voice. So I never said no to anyone. I was a people pleaser. I was a perfectionist. Um, I always wanted other people to be happy. So I mm. had no idea who I was. I didn't have an identity of what do I want? What do I feel? What do I think? Everyone else trumped me. So mm. I had to learn how to... Um, have my identity in christ was what helped me most so instead of i like the counselor had me read this book called self-esteem tools for a recovery and to me it was just so cheesy <laughs> because like it just seemed man-made versus um this amazing book i read called search for significance by robert mcgee and he talked about building your significance on jesus christ versus yeah. people pleasing approve you know approving perfectionism all these different ways and so yeah i I read different books. I was memorizing scripture to try to train my brain to think of positive things instead of my automatic negative tapes. So memorizing scripture really helped me to fight that. And then I had roommates and friends who had whole different, entirely different relationships with one another and with their parents than I had ever had. So watching them share their emotions with their parents or with one hmm. another, I never knew how to do that. No. Um, what is that? I don't know. What is that? <laughs> <Yeah>. And <laughs> And my parents also were very teachable because I remember this point with my mom, where I never shared with her how I was feeling because of some things that happened c- growing up, where mm. I felt like she tried to fix it or minimized it because yeah. she was uncomfortable with me suffering, so she was trying to not make it, you know, that bad. And so I, I eventually shut down growing up. But in I remember this. I talk about this still um, in some of my counseling groups that I lead where I decided to try to tell her something I was struggling with. And she did what she used to always do, which was this nervous laugh and then try to minimize, but oh, it's not that big of a deal. And so for now I've had two years of counseling. And so I lost it on her. And I said, mom, I don't want you to fix it. I just want you to listen. And that was huge for me because I don't yell. I'm a people pleaser. I don't ever say anything controversial, but it uh, was this Beginning of this drastic, beautiful change in my relationship with my mom, Mm. where she then didn't know she wasn't listening. He didn't know what I needed. I never said it. And so after that, for probably the next year or two, I'd say, okay, mom, I'm going to tell you something, but I don't want you to fix it. I just want you to listen. And she'd be like, okay, okay, Marv, Marv. That's my my dad. Corey's on the phone. She just wants us to listen. She's going to tell us, but doesn't want us to fix it. And I had a reminder again and again and again, but praise the Lord, they were so teachable. They wanted to. Me to share struggles. They just didn't know how. They that wasn't modeled to them. Mm. And now my parents are you know two of my best friends.
0: Wow. Yeah. So for parents listening to this, we mm-hmm. shouldn't always be trying to fix our kids' problems, our children's issues or the things they're going through. Yes. First just listen.
1: Yes. To listen and try to put yourself in their shoes and empathize to say, wow. That sounds really hard. Or mm. I could understand why that would really hurt your feelings. To validate their feelings will help them work through what they're feeling a hundred times faster mm. than trying to fix it because of your discomfort of your kids' suffering.
0: One of the things I read, I can't remember what it was, but it was starting with two words. Of course. Of mm. course you're feeling that way. Mm. Of course you're mad. Of course you're sad. Mm. Who wouldn't be?
2: Yeah, and normalizing just, it. Yeah,
0: just um, I uh, just identifying and say, Hey, I'm, I, I get it. Like I, I can, of course you have, should be feeling that way. Yes. And I think a lot of times, even for me, just having somebody um, kind of see or accept how I'm feeling. Right. And not dismiss it.
1: Yeah. We are not made to be islands in this world. We are made for connection. Mm. So it is so powerful and healing when we could connect with another human being with something difficult we're feeling, be vulnerable and express it. Mm. So when did you, I mean, you don't have
0: to answer this question, but when did you start getting those feelings of anxiety, depression, and even the whole uh, eating disorder?
1: Yeah. uh, Eating disorder symptoms usually start in fourth grade Mm. and uh, 50% of fourth graders feel like they're fat girls, fourth grade girls. Right. Uh, So I fit that criteria um, I was always more muscular than my friends. I was a gymnast. And so I, I was more muscular, but I weighed more. Yeah. And that was a number that bothered me that I weighed more than my friends versus I was definitely more muscular. I was never fat. Um, so, so the, those thoughts of insecurity, in my body started around fourth grade, but I was, we had the presidential fitness award in elementary school when I went, so who got the most push-ups, most sit-ups, most uh, could do the to pull up and hang for the longest. Yeah. And I would always get it every year. I was one of the top two girls in our class of all multiple years. Then in seventh grade, I went to junior high mm. and no longer did I have something I was good at. Like I went to gymnastics, but I was just, you know, middle, middle or a little bit mm. lower. So no longer was there anything that I felt like I didn't have an identity, you know, something I could say. I'm really good at something. Um, And at the same time, I really love my dad. I'm the only one in the family that looks like my dad. Everyone else has blue eyes, blonde hair. I have brown eyes and brown hair. And I liked that. I was like him. And he would say things like, you're like me, right, Corey? And I'm like, right. He said, you're a rock like me, right, Corey? And I would say, right. And it was just this fun, playful interaction. But in my head, I decided what a rock was. Mm. And a rock was someone who isn't sad, isn't hurt, isn't lonely, isn't scared. A rock is tough. And so I consciously try to only be happy. Um, and that was it. And maybe sometimes grumpy. You know, I was sometimes because my dad was grumpy sometimes. So I knew that was <laughs> that was allowed. But any other emotion, I try to just shove down and not have. I didn't want to have that or express that. And we are not designed to not feel. God gives us all these different feelings. Um, Mm -hmm. And so for me to try to consciously shut them down, they had to come out some way. And that is how addictions form for anyone, is is emotions that are kept in, they're going to come out sideways. And so for me, the addiction was food. I thought about food 24-7, what I was going to eat, not eat, if it was a good day, if it was a bad day. I was weighing myself multiple times a day. Um, I would feel good in myself of a certain number, feel better if it was down lower, and so that was a eight year uh, eight years of my life was obsessed with food and calories and counting and my worth dependent on numbers.
0: Is that so? Would you say you're about ten?
1: It started. So you said fourth grade. Fourth grade. The actual behaviors really took throttle in seventh grade when yeah. I when I moved. No longer had an identity. Um, my dad was home four days a month because we lived in Idaho and he was working commuting from Chicago for a year.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, and I was trying to act like him and be tough. And um, so for nine months, I actually had suicidal thoughts. I told two friends that um, I knew someday how I was going to die was taking my life. And I just talked about it like it was no big deal. Um, clearly, there was something wrong with with me, you know, for to think that and think that there was nothing to live for. But I was I was really really lost.
0: It sounds sounds like you had a pretty um, decent upbringing with two parents. Yeah.
1: So I am what I would call a thin skinned person. So I feel things deeply. I um, uh, I heard once I heard an analogy of the the. the a story about the emperor's new clothing. I don't know if you've heard that's a children's story mm-hmm. That his new clothing was actually invisible. He didn't have any clothing at all. And he does mm-hmm. this parade down the, down the, um, center of town and everyone's waving and awing his wonderful new clothing. And then there's this little boy who yells out, he doesn't have any clothing on at all. And everyone gasped because you know, if they all thought that they were, they all thought they were right, they must have clothing and they were just going along with the crowd and I once heard that as an analogy of someone with thin skin, like they feel and notice things. And maybe other people don't always feel that, you know, a politician, for example, they're thick skinned. They yeah. they could let things just go off their back um, like a duck. And it's not a big deal for me. I felt everything intensely.
0: Mm. What triggered the the thoughts of, oh, I'm, I need to really uh, get hyper-focused on my eating?
1: Yeah. So... For me, being thin-skinned, I was very, very sensitive. My parents, everyone would call me sensitive sometimes. So I, so I decided it was a negative thing. Um, so my parents did not know how to uh, model emotions to me. Sadness, hurt, fear, loneliness, I never saw. So as a child, if they don't see that modeled by who raises them, then they don't know how to have those emotions themselves. We learn how to express sadness, fear, hurt, loneliness through our primary attachment figure. So my dad was, um, his dad died when he was five months old. His mom remarried a raging alcoholic who beat him. Mm. His mom had an eighth grade education, which has succumbed to him. So she had no modeling of how to have those emotions. So he was this, read books and left home when he was 16 and a self-made man. My mom, um, she was a farmer's daughter, and the farmer was a, a dictator. There was never any conversation, just what he said went. Mm-hmm. So she had no idea. So both of them had no idea how to handle a, th- a thin-skinned little girl who all these emotions. Um, and so I eventually shut down because I felt like it was wrong. No one else in my family was like me, and feelings getting hurt so easily. Mm. And I thought I should be tougher.
0: So if you bottle in all those emotions, mm-hmm. they start coming out in ways we don't particularly like. Right. Mm. Right. This is, I have a 10-year-old daughter, so mm. I'm taking notes here.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want
0: to make sure that I am doing everything possible, my wife and I, mm. to um, really just not get, do it wrong. Cause mm. I I mean, we. always I was raised, too, is you don't show your emotions. Mm. It's mm. just kind of something you just, you don't really... Um, put a lot of, of, of focus on, right. Mm -hmm. And just brush it off and move on. But I'm starting to realize as I get older, you have to uh, let that stuff out, but figure out how to do it in a way that's positive and not destructive.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's great for your kids. You know, if if you talk around the dinner table and they say, how was your day for you to say, Oh, I had an interaction with a parent that really made me sad. Um, and, And you could talk in their language, their world just enough, but for them to hear, oh, dad was sad about something. Mm -hmm. I remember being in college, sitting down with my dad and saying, do you ever feel sad or hurt or lonely? And he said, yes. And I was shocked. I had no idea. And it was so healing for me.
0: Have you ever seen your father cry?
1: I, I have at my son's funeral. Um,
0: but that was, I mean, what about when you're a time. child?
1: No, never. I think that never.
0: I think that's powerful. Yeah, because isn't that showing? I mean, displaying yes. genuine sadness. Yeah,
1: it's a wonderful gift to give your kids that it's okay to be sad. And as and a have father, tears. you want
0: to hide it. <laughs> yeah, but I have to remind myself, mm. don't especially watching like a movie or something that just really hits you even, I mean, just watch the passion of the Christ and you're gonna be born like a baby.
1: Well, that's great. You could connect with your emotions and cry. Yeah. I I mean,
0: now I'm just, I'm trying, it's not easy, but I'll just let it out. And, and I think it's so important to not have too much pride Hmm. that that's, there's something wrong with that.
1: I I like that. Jesus wept
0: yes Very many freeing. yes yeah thank you yeah <laughs> if jesus did i think we can do it too yeah yeah so you know that, that kind of leads right into the, another question is what are parents doing uh too much of or too less of
1: hmm. that's a good question i think we've adopted two children out of uh foster care hmm. um, they entered our, our house in 2019 we adopted them a year later And Chandler was in foster care from the age of two and a half. We got him at three and a half. He's seven now. And Mila was um, three months old when she entered foster care. And so your first three years of life is how you attach. Um, You have tens of thousands of interactions where you're crying, you're lonely, you're hungry, you're scared, and you get comforted again and again and again, multiple times a day by by usually your parents. They didn't get that. So we've had to... um, do extra counseling, all these extra things to try to help heal them in of those areas, or you're going to raise a kid who's a sociopath. I mean, if they don't have that at- attachment, they have significant um, behaviors the rest of their life or stealing. It could be anything you name ad- addiction. They end up in jail. That, that attachment is so key. Is in, that an emotional attachment? It's an emotional connect yeah. attachment. Yes. Hmm. Um, so, So I'm just going to name a couple things I've learned from them because we've done some therapy with them. So I think it's nice and concrete. Um, So with children who still play, one of the biggest gifts parents can give to them is to play with them in their world without asking questions, without initiating play for five minutes a day is what I learned. Five minutes of like you get out a couple choices for them, um, color crayons and a paper, legos and blocks and say okay this is our special play time we've got five minutes you can do 10 minutes but to try to do five or ten minutes a day five days a week will drastically de- decrease mental health issues in their life <laughs> i mean it's that it seems so small but we're so busy and during those five to ten minutes the rules are you can't ask them questions um and you are just repeating what you're seeing them do and mm. you're affirming them so mm. okay all right you're stacking the brown you know the red brick on top of the yellow and you're going to try to mirror their behavior so whatever they're building with legos you're going to try to build whatever they're coloring you're coloring right next to them doing that with them but you are helping organize their brain by saying what they're doing you know what you're seeing them do next okay now you're grabbing the yellow one oh that looks really nice coloring the hair yellow that looks really really cool oh i like how you did that i'm going to do that too on mine so mirroring that and affirming that and copying that builds them up and they because they feel so in control and empowered during that five minutes with you, it allows them to relax, their nervous system relaxes where they then don't have to be in control at the rest of the day. They don't have to be the top person when they are playing with their kid, playing with other kids. Mm -hmm. So they don't have to dominate. They can then listen to directions from teachers or other people and comply because their primary attachment, they got to have full power for just five minutes.
0: And this needs to happen not only in the first three years, but
1: forever. Yeah. This is yeah, this is through the course of of play. The first three years, you're not gonna be necessarily playing with them or repeating yeah. those things. You're yeah. you're meeting those needs. But once they're talking, doing that, we just saw drastic changes. We do that this special therapy. It's called PCIT, parent-child interactive therapy. And we did it for about six months with Mila and with uh, Chandler and the, the the therapist helps you through it. Drastic changes in their behavior and improvements at school, and and it was it was just it's amazing. It's crazy because it just sounds so simple. I know, <laughs> five minutes. I mean, come
0: on, we can give ten. Yeah, yeah, right. And it to me, I always think about this with parents, and especially how busy we get. You know, as business owners, we're always <laughs> thinking about the business,
1: right? And
0: yeah. just putting that time aside for our most prized. Mm beings in our lives. But then we just don't prioritize sometimes. And I like this because it gives me now kind of a really concrete black and white thing I can Mm do. Uh, My son's autistic. Mm -hmm. So I have 10-year-old twins, boy, girl. She's neurotypical. Uh, Mm -hmm. She's just kind of a drama queen. But then (laughs) my son is uh, nonverbal, Mm -hmm. but he's very much uh neurotypical in every other area physically it's it's i mean he's really smart but i know he loves it when we wrestle
2: Hmm. that's our
0: thing like he's always wanting to wrestle chase him and that doesn't take language no that's not at all and he he has his own language now Hmm. he kind of like grunts at me but my wife and i know exactly what he's wanting oh
1: that's wonderful
0: and just the other day because i take them to playground as much as possible whenever it's nice out because I have an ADHD mind for me to sit and actually like do coloring and such. That's going to be really difficult for me. Yeah. You gotta
1: find something you're, you would enjoy to do with them. That's one of the criteria. Okay. That's
0: good to know. (laughs) Yes. That makes me a lot more likely to do it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So Jason does these sciencey things. I'm like, I can't do (laughs) this. Don't do it. Find something you want to do with them. That's good. That's
0: great. Yes. Uh, because, when we go to the park i just noticed this the other day my son can look way across way across the playground and i just go Guys and he looks at, he can see me and i wave at him he recognizes me instantly
2: hmm.
0: which is so incredible hmm. because he's quote-unquote autistic hmm. but we have that attachment that emotional attachment as soon yes. as he sees me and it's even deeper where he can just, we can look at each other and he kind of knows what my expectation is at that mm. mo- moment. So it just goes back That's to that. wonderful. The attachment part. I really feel that. And last thing I'll just say is here at coma, uh, we, we train our instructors that that attachment, that connection is so mm. incredibly important. And if you want to have these kids in your class uh, kind of do what you want, because if you don't have that connection, they're going to be like, why am I going to do what you're asking me?
1: Yeah, you guys do a wonderful job with, I could think of Mila. She started, as soon as she was old enough, she, she started here. Is that four when you're old enough? Yep, yep. And she did not want to go, and you guys would get right to her eyes, bent down on her level, yep. talk to her, helped her ease in where she could definitely feel seen, mm. didn't feel this authority over her. And you could get her on the floor, which shocked me. So good work. <laughs> good training. <laughs> hey, I,
0: I can't take the credit. That's my amazing team of instructors. But, you know, I, I'm so... I'm so happy to hear that you talked about the importance of getting down at their level. Mm. And I, I we really emphasize that with our instructors is mm. you cannot have a connection. If you have this huge difference in height, you're talking down at right. them instead of talking at the same level. So I yeah. have to ask what, um, is there a particular reason why you had your children do martial arts?
1: My husband has done a lot of research and just saw how much uh, the benefit of learning the skills through martial arts of, of discipline he thought mm-hmm. the discipline and character building he thought was a primary foundation before any other sport and also learning that body control that you learn through martial arts he thought is the core platform before you do anything else. So that's what we started and I was I've never been in any, any kind of martial arts so I was so pleasantly surprised how much. You know, the yes ma'am, yes sir, the, the character building that you're doing and the homework you could do at home to go up more. It's just a beautiful kid. Rarely do you find a place that helps you build character. Uh, so I was really pleasantly surprised.
0: Excellent. Thank you for sharing that. So tell me more about Renew uh, Counseling, which is your business that you founded.
1: Yes. Uh, Renew started in 2005. Um, it is... Uh, has outpatient therapists who see people with a variety of different issues. And then in 2017, we started the Anxiety Center at RENEW, and that is an IOP, which stands for Intensive Outpatient Program. So yeah. people that once a week counseling is not enough can come to – we have an adult program at six weeks, three times a week for six weeks, intense tools to get your life back and not be controlled by your anxiety or OCD um, or social anxiety, whatever kind of – whatever way the anxiety manifests itself. And then we also have an adolescent program that's, again, IOP, intensive outpatient. So it's groups four times a week for five weeks um, where parents are involved because parents have to know what's happening to help their kids heal. Um, And we've seen tremendous uh, changes um, in people's lives with anxiety and depression through those programs. It's been really, Mm. really an honor to be a part of of that journey.
0: Why did you start it?
1: Who has a loaded question? Um, I was in a private practice for six years, and I never, never had a vision of being a business owner. I, again, I thought I was this plain Jane, middle of the road person with nothing, nothing special. I knew I was loved by God, but but didn't feel much beyond that. And I was in a group for three three years through my church. Um, we studied uh, the Clapham Sect. The Clapham Institute that was the founder of this this group. Mike Metzger, and he taught us, it was like an intense seminary course. We read all these books over these three years. And what we were really trying to figure out is how to move Sunday church into Monday, how how to incorporate your faith throughout your whole week and not just be on Sunday. Mm. And one of the people that we studied, there was about 30 of us that met for those once a month for three years. One of the people we studied was William Wilberforce. He is responsible for the abolition, Abolition. I can't say the word. Abolition? Uh, abol. Abolishment. Yep. Okay. The abolishment of the slave trade movement in England from England to Africa. He stopped it after 40 years of working on it. For 40 years. And he was a part of these this group of people they called themselves the Clapham sect and they all met together for the common good to figure out how to help one another in whatever calling they had. Basically to glorify God. Mm. Um even though they weren't pastors And so we studied this, and and then this group of 30 said, um, does anyone have something they feel like they're called to do that maybe we could wrap our our arms around and help? And they asked that when just the week before, I really sensed from the Lord that he wanted me to start at that point, um, the specialty was eating disorders of renew, that he wanted me to start an eating disorders facility in Johnson County, which there was zero. There was one on the Casey, Missouri side, but none in Johnson County. So I shared this vision with them, and they gave me all these wonderful ideas of what I could do. I need to um, you know, probably take some business courses. I could ch- check out Kauf- Kaufman Institute, had some different yep. resources. And that was all great. Well, I, I just happened to a week later, I was asked to share my testimony at church because um, none of these people knew my story. Um, so I was very honored. I shared my testimony, and they wanted me to share um, about the eating disorder and, and those other things, and then how I feel called to use those things that I felt were ashes um, for something beautiful uh, of starting a center that could help other people who were, who were struggling. And after I shared my story, the floodgates opened, and I had uh, eight core people from those 30 who said, we want to meet with you regularly and help you make this happen. We didn't know your story. So once they heard my story, they came alongside me and met with me for free, monthly, <laughs> for years, Uh, For nine months, they met and the architect helped with, uh, we had to rebuild part of an office to make our offices. Um, The pastor had all these connections to help me get a website and business cards. There was a person who was the owner of a bank, so he helped me get uh, the business, uh, business account, which I had no idea how to do, and all the banking. One was a lawyer. Well, he was a lawyer of helping small businesses get started. I didn't even know that when I asked him. So the Lord directed me with all these specific people um, to ask to help me, and they devoted their time, talents, and treasure. One was a business owner, and he gave me all this furniture he wasn't using, so I had a waiting room, and I had the, the furniture I needed. Mm. Um, so that was how Renew was started, a gift of these people wanting to do something the greater good in the world of counseling, world of eating disorders, and nine months later, Renew started. Where was this group? It was out of uh, Christ Community Evangelical Free Church. Wow! So this started in a church. Started in a church. Wow!
0: Yeah, I need to sign up for that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Not there anymore, but it was, it was, uh, it was amazing. Um, and then in 2010, we rebranded and and went beyond eating disorders. So we still see eating disorders, but also uh, mental health, a variety of other issues. And then did the anxiety in mm. 2017.
0: You've been a business owner for 18 years. Yes. Can you believe that? No, <laughs> I, only, I only know that that number because my I started it a year after. Oh, you
1: did? Yeah. Okay, I'm like, hey, you're good and fast enough. <laughs> yes. Yeah, my yeah. dad. I have three siblings, and my dad's like, yeah, you are the most unlikely one to start a business out of the four So oh. I'm like, you're absolutely right. Totally unlikely, but think about how many
0: of the disciples' parents told them the same thing: hmm. you are not. You were the last person I thought would be <laughs> the disciple of Jesus yeah, Christ. Yeah. And I I go back to that personally because I struggle too with that self doubt. Mm. I was not wired to be this leader. Mm. I was not wired to be this business owner. And you know, you compare yourself to other successful people and you're like, I'm not I can't ever do that. Mm. But how many of the most prominent people that Christ chose were actually somebody's. Hmm. I don't think any of them were. That's a
1: really good point.
0: Yeah. You're right. So uh, here's my kind of a basic, but maybe a complex question. We hear so much today about mental health. What is that? I had to look that up when I knew you were going to ask me that because I'm like, no one's asked me what the definition of
1: mental health is. Um, So in general, if you look it up, it's a person's condition regarding their psychological and and emotional Mm well-being. So a really good understanding physical, you know, we go to the doctor, we get a physical, we need to pay attention to our physical health so we don't have a heart attack and we could function optimally, but... What about our mental health? How do we handle conflict? How do we handle when we're sad or hurt or lonely? How do we handle when suffering happens to the world or suffering happens in us? Can we be resilient? Can we work through it and continue to be who we are made to be? Or are we taken out? Mm -hmm. And a good mental health, you're able to work through those things and be resilient. Um, You're also able to have joy. Um, Jesus had joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. So you're also able to see glimpses of of God light in the midst of storms, the midst of hardships in your life, I think, as well. Speaking of Jesus, where does
0: Christianity (laughs) come into play with mental health? Because I I definitely feel that nowadays mental health is very much separate from the spiritual side, which I think is the most important.
1: Hmm. That's interesting because I've always felt like as, as I mean, I became a believer when I was 18, but I've always seen them together, but probably because I was Believe on my him. own journey yeah. of of mental health. So when I read the Bible, I see Saul struggled with depression. And the music from David is what helped him. Um I see um the woman, the prostitute who comes in and and anoints Jesus' feet with oil. Was so full of shame because she felt so gross for who, you know, yep. the choices that she had made. You know, I do see that Jesus, when they're like, why weren't you there? Why didn't you heal Lazarus? He, his first response was emotionally connected it was weeping. Um, Judas, so overwhelmed with the horrible choice he made of those three pieces of silver, he kills himself. Mm. So, I see mental health all over the Bible, um, the Old Testament and New Testament. So, but how do we then, you know, if you're a believer and
0: you're um, a Christian, how do we use, or not even use, but think through the lenses of Christ to deal and to strengthen our mental mental health? Would you say maybe it's when Paul says, pray without ceasing?
1: Mm. I I do like... um, You know, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, in prayer and Mm -hmm. supplication, let your requests be made known to God. And then the results are the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension. Well, guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Mm. So I think ultimately God is the great counselor. I mean, he says it. He's the the great counselor. And so if we come to him first— you know, seek ye first my kingdom, my righteousness, and everything will be added unto you. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you
0: rest. And that's all of us. We're yeah. all weary. Yeah. Have you heard of a book called Psycho-Cybernetics?
1: I have not. Oh, my
0: goodness. I recommend it. I'm just in the middle of it, so I don't know all of it. Okay. But uh, it really focuses a lot on self-image. Hmm. And until I read this, started reading this book, I kind of... Saw that whole idea of self-image as fooey, you know, you know, just kind of, I don't know, just fluff. But after I started thinking about this, I realized how true it was and how powerful the self-image is. And I kind of see this as how do you see yourself? And we were just talking about kind of putting limitations on us and and all that. And I just I I, I go back to What, where does, who does Christ want us to be? And then maybe aligning that. And I think from there, our mental health starts to get really uh, in sync with Mm. who God wants us to be. Mm. Because I think a lot of times we'll be kind of pulled away by the world. Mm -hmm. And then God's like, I'm still here. You need to come back to me if you want to live that Life of joy, happiness, and peace. Yeah, but then we start doing other things that maybe aren't as healthy or just not aligned with what he wants.
1: Yeah, I, I love. I'm a very visual person, so the uh, description in Psalms that he's a light into our feet or a light into our path. I I picture our journeys with God as this path that we're on, and we only have light of where we're at right there in that moment with Him. And I think you're right. If you if you're in line with him, growing with him, letting him conform you, he's the potter, we are the clay, mm. that our mental health will be in line with him. And he wants to help us through the good, the bad, the ugly, through mm. all of it. And he wants us to have joy too. I used to, when I was first became a believer, I was in a mentality that, like, okay, I've done all these bad things in my life. So now I really want to be good. I really want God to be Proud of me, and every day, I was just filled with guilt of all the bad things I feel like I did that day. Um, and I remember a friend sitting me down. I was in college, and him saying, "Corey, what are your dreams?" And I was flabbergasted because I thought you become a Christian, life's hard. You pray hard. You try to please Him. Like dreaming was not a part of my mentality. I didn't think that was part of God's mentality. Mm. And he kept pushing me, pushing me, and uh, he finally really challenged me, and he was way farther in his faith than than I was, that God does want me to dream. And so I uh, found the scripture in Ephesians that says, now to him who's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all you ask, think, or imagine. And I'm like, well, that's dreaming. That's definitely dreaming there. And I was just floored that God wants this beautiful life for us beyond what we ask, think, or imagine, like. To him be the glory it just just floors me. But it's it is a great adventure, like Stephen Curtis Chapman says. Like it's it's my life has been more beautiful, more sorrowful, more joyful, um, more painful in all these different ways than I've ever imagined. And I'm really grateful.
0: Mm. So before the pandemic, anxiety and depression were becoming more common among children and adolescents. And I have to say that one more time. Before the pandemic. Yes. Increasing from 24%, increasing 24% from 2016 to 2019. What do you think is going on?
1: Yeah, I, my husband actually works with me. and He works with adolescents. So I called him and asked him his take on this also. And he said it's been on the rise gradually over the past 20 years. Mm. It has been. Um, I think, and there's, there's data to show a couple different things. One, the increase of the smartphone is a direct link to the increase of mental illness um, since it's come out. Uh, it's around 2011 where it came very much more popular. And there is a distinct rise with children and adolescents at that time. And this uh, da- this is database. This is not your opinion. This no, is, this is data. Yeah. 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 Um, also sleep, the struggle with sleep and the lack of sleep has contributed to mental health illness with adolescents. So yeah, I thought that was interesting. I looked that one up um, and then social media. The amount of social media and the the wanting to um the, the comparison that I'm not pretty enough, I'm not smart enough, I don't have enough likes, I don't have enough friendships. We we didn't have to deal with that when we were no. kids growing up, and now they do. So that's this uncharted territory for us as parents to know how to navigate with kids dealing with this. And then they're trying to get their worth based on on that. Those those are huge, huge factors. Um, that's going on. And busyness, you know, we are often so busy. There is also research that shows that families that eat meals together, I think it's like four or five times a week, much less mental illness, less drugs, alcohol abuse, less um, issues at school, but eating a meal together, you know, what's that, 20 minutes, 30 minutes of a meal? And so I think we're all on the, I think many people struggle being on the rat race, trying to keep up with the Joneses, Trying to make sure um, you, you you want, of course, what's best for your kids and your family and your career and stuff, but just trying to figure out what is the right cadence for all of that mm-hmm. um, I think it's really become more and more challenging because there's so many choices, so many options. It's, everything's at your fingertips now with computer and data and stuff. So I think it's really made things much more complex.
0: The way I say this is you can, you're either going to spend time now, and it could be 30 minutes eating dinner, 10 Mm -hmm. minutes playing with your kids now. And then you sum that up, you Mm -hmm. spend all this time with your kids, or you can skip that and spend all that time later when they're dealing with all these issues, Mm -hmm. whether it be going to prison or dealing with drugs, it's like, you're going to spend the time. So you got to choose which one you'd rather do. Well, that's a great perspective. Good
1: point, (laughs) right? It's
0: like either way, (laughs) you're going to spend the time and probably the money too. Uh, Um, I have to ask, when is the appropriate time to allow a child or even your child or a child to get on social media?
1: I highly recommend Screen Sanity. Um, it's a program. It's a nonprofit that has been created. It's, it's at many different schools. I think you will look it up. They have great resources online for that to answer that question. So they're the experts in that. Sure. Um, be a great podcast for you actually i could give you those connections oh cuz yeah. they are believers. Excellent. Also, um but I I would say probably around 11 12 13 to start with a gab phone gab phone G A B it has no internet on it. Oh. It looks like a smartphone. Um, but they're you're only I believe you're only allowed to have um text with one person, it can't be groups. So it's much more controlled so there is some freedom but then it's controlled. And then to have different control things once you have social media. So um, you could have um, Bark, B-A-R-K, is a great filter that filters from bullying. And it will alert you as a parent about self-harm or other things through text with your kids. So to make sure there's filters, usually it's around fourth grade that they're exposed to pornography online. Um, So you want to make sure you have filters that you don't even think you need to make sure all your computers are password protected that they don't know at home. Yeah. Um, cause it is so, so easy, but I will let the experts say more. I'm thinking <laughs> right now with
0: that. I can't think of any reason why I, any child needs to be on social media. I can't, I, why, I, can't I the only reason why I'm on is for business. Mm. Yeah. But other than that, especially for a young brain, when that brain is always just thinking through the emotions first and not logic is now getting exposed to all of the stimuli, all these different influences mm-hmm. and they can't really filter out what is uh, something they should be following or not. Right.
1: Yeah. We want everything we do in our life to be in line with our values. So mm-hmm. what value would that be fulfilling as mm-hmm. a kid? You're right. Nothing really. I, you know, I and even it. as adults, what value is it? If you choose me, I'm, is it in line with a value to be on Facebook? I used to be on it a lot right before bed. I would get on it, but then I felt like it was wasting my time. So now I put, I post my stuff for my kids cause I like the memories that, that yeah. will pop up every now and then. And, and you got and family very, on there too, right? Yeah, yeah. It's very limited, but you know, a friend of mine from when I was 13 reconnected with me and texted me last week. And that was really cool, yeah. you know, cause I haven't heard from her in 20 years. Um, but yeah, what value is that? Whatever you're doing, is it online with one of your values? That's yeah, about.
0: yeah, I really, I really like that. So what methods or approaches do you take when, uh, treating your adolescents or even adults and even going, let's just go back to the eating disorder. Cause I, gosh, that is such a complex disease or condition. So what are the kind of the things just from a bird's eye view of what you guys are doing?
1: Well, all three different answers. <laughs> so,
0: sorry about that. Yeah.
1: So, with adolescents, or I'm sorry, with eating disorders, you're working on identity, a lot with identity. You're trying to work on the, the roots of perfectionism. You're working on their other distorted thinking. Um, you're helping them. Um, with an the eating disorder, you have to help them to learn how to eat. You know, with like a drug addiction or an alcohol addiction, the goal is to abstain. Well, you can't abstain from food. Uh, so, to learn to that food is medicine and you have to re. Uh, change your relationship with, with food to see that food is a good thing it's you know Jesus they broke bread and they ate mm. they, they had multiple celebrations and food was part of it it's, it's a beautiful part of community and connection in the Bible um, so that is it's a long process with eating disorders definitely achievable absolutely I've seen absolutely many people healed a lot of work but definitely you want someone who specializes in eating disorders to journey with you if that is something that you or a loved one is struggling with um, with adolescents, we use two different treatment modalities. One is called DBT, which stands for Dialectic Behavioral Therapy. You could look it up. It, they're very concrete skills that help you with emotional regulation. It helps you with um, mindfulness, how to be in the present moment. I like to think when someone's depressed, they're, they're inside their head or thinking about their past and their mistakes. If they're anxious, they're worried about the future. The thing we can control right now is the present moment. So you have to learn how to be mindful, to be present um, in the moment. So that's a great thing to try to teach your kids. And, you know, you guys look at the. Can you? We sometimes we eat outside and we'll say, "See how many sounds you can hear," mm. and we're just quiet, and they see how many birds and different sounds. That's teaching your child to be mindful. So anyway, DBT has mindfulness, emotional regulation. It also works with distress tolerance when you have really difficult emotions. And then it, there's a one part that's emotion interpersonal effectiveness works on relationships and then the other component that we use for adolescents it's called DNAV um, and it's discover noticer advisor um, dash values and that is uh, we use it as adults adults it's called act acceptance commitment therapy that is it. okay I, lo- I love it you've heard of it it yeah. is my favorite thing I used to be huge with CBT kind of behavioral therapy until I learned to act and now I I fully believe in act. It, so I'm going to different places. So with adults with act, basically what that is, is saying you're going to have suffering in life. So how can you have your feelings and honor them and work through them, have whatever thoughts you have, acknowledge them and work through them mm-hmm. instead of trying to change them. And uh, CBT was more like that work on, you know, changing your thoughts, changing your actions, then your feelings are going to change also. And that's what I did the first 15 years of my career. There's lots of data to show effectiveness of that, so it is a good thing. I have just found when I'm working with anxiety and depression, I, it just more fits me. I feel like in in the model that that um, I I read through a biblical worldview. The other one's not unbiblical, um, but because it does talk about renewing your mind, but how how to feel hurt or loneliness and and to work through it instead of um, feeling like your life ought to be happy. To me, my my perception of CBT was eventually, you're gonna be happy because you've changed your thoughts, your feelings and actions, you're gonna be happy. We're learning act to learn, no, there's always suffering in this world. But so how can you work through that suffering and still live in your values? That's the other biggest thing with act is it includes values, which I love with identity work. Hmm. And so DNAV is a version of act for adolescents. It's much more concrete. Cause there's lots of metaphors in it. So it puts it in a language discover notice or advisor. That's very relatable to adolescence.
0: So tactically this looks like a lot of talking just mm-hmm. between people, right? Is this what the, what the treatment looks like with mm-hmm. the counselor? Mm-hmm. And then you have the patient and then there's just a lot of back and forth talking or group talking. Is that what mm-hmm. that looks like?
1: That's a good question. Um, we do teach things, but then it's a lot of interaction. Or you're mm. practicing the skills and and because uh, so much of healing happens in community so I love doing group because I find people get better faster shame walls are taken down faster in community of like oh my gosh you feel like me you feel like me you can relate to me I thought I was all that, alone in this
0: that is such truth <laughs> I mean even as uh, if you ever get a chance to join like a business group mm. and you hear them talking about all mm. their issues the things that they're dealing with you are like all of a sudden you're like hey this is not that bad because isn't that funny how that went? by it's the way that's so, so funny. relieving yeah. yes. but it's funny how that even is a thing why does it matter if somebody else is suffering and then how does that affect my suffering all of a sudden just, it just it doesn't hurt as much
1: i think that's one of the lies the enemy does to us to make a don't you think of yeah. we're alone Yes, He wants you to think you yeah. are alone. No one else feels like you. No yes. one else struggles a business owner like you. Everyone else has got
0: this right. That's right. I am 100% behind that. And even for, I would say, this is so good for introverts to listen to because mm-hmm. naturally, the way I see this is extroverts get their energy from people. Mm-hmm. Introverts get their energy by being alone and recharging mm-hmm. that way. Yeah. But I think both, any, any person should have a group or a repeating habit where they're around people that are going to have the same values yes, who can support you, but also challenge you and hold you accountable. Gosh, I think that's such a beautiful thing to have in your life and just being alone as we, we felt it in, during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants that and nobody right. should have that.
1: Right. Yeah. I like that Jesus modeled. He had his core three people. That's right. Right. And then 12 and then a bigger group. And that's, uh, we, you know, for us to have a core three, three people, yep. at, I call them band-aids and in, in counseling. We, I want you to have three to five band-aids, three to five people. When you have a joy, when you have something you're struggling with, you could go to and talk to, why do you not want to have one? Because you don't want to become dependent and they yep. might be having a bad day. That's <laughs> We need more than great. one.
0: I love that. So why is face-to-face communication still an important skill for children and adolescents to uh, learn today, you know, with all the technology, we can just text each other. We can do even, I mean, FaceTime is mm-hmm. something. But mm-hmm. why do we need to have two humans talking to each other, and why does that need to be learned when they're young?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I'll give you an example. I my, my daughter was probably three, and she was sitting on my counter. She was asking me something, and I was um, texting, and I was trying to finish my my text. So I started saying "uh huh," and she kept saying it. And I was still not looking at her. So she grabbed, she put her little hands on my cheeks, moved my face to her, which totally shocked me and got my attention and said the thing again. And then we connected. So what does that tell you? Like, she did not feel seen. She did not feel heard. She did not feel connected. She knew mommy had something else that she was paying attention to smart little girl, right? Three years old. Three years old. They're going to give you the truth whether you like it or not. Yeah. And, um, and, and she was right. So again, we are made to have connection. We are not made to be islands. We don't get connection through the smartphone or internet or those other things. We get connection face to face. We, that makes the neurotransmitters of your brain happy. That sends, I've been reading a book called, um, the other half of the church. And it. And it talks about your brain um, and the right brain and left brain. And most churches are designed for one side of your brain, which is the sermon, the singing, the lecture, the takeaway, the reading, of the Bible. But the other half of the brain is the creative side. It's the side of you that connects. And it's the side of you that when someone else sees you and they light up and they look excited to see you, you get joy. Mm. That's half your brain. And that's That, that you absolutely need that's not tended to. So we need face to face because we need people to light up when they see us and and feel joy. And we need to give that to our kids. We need to be, they need to, when they, when we see them, the biggest gift we could give them is for them to feel like we are so happy to see them. Mm. They will feel joy. They'll feel that connection that will, that will feed their brain in such a beautiful ways.
0: So, we need to actually physically go in the church and we can't just keep watching on YouTube, is what you're saying?
1: <laughs> yes. Oh, I didn't even think about that. We got to yeah, feel the other side can't of feel that, that brain. That joy. Yes, we do.
0: So, what would you tell an adult who's listening to this and they struggle with that face to face communication?
1: Mm-hmm. Is there
0: hope for that person?
1: Yeah, well, one, uh, used to be you're nuts if you go to counseling. Now you're nuts if you don't. So it, don't be afraid to go talk to someone. I mean, if that's really a struggle, social anxiety is a real thing. Yeah. Um, we see many people with social anxiety, and it's very treatable also.
0: Why should they tr- get it treated?
1: What, well, I would challenge them to think about what are they missing out on in life? What are they missing out on with their family, with their friends, in their career, in church? What opportunities do they miss? Do they not get the promotion because they're afraid to speak up at, at mm-hmm. in their work environment? Do they not feel seen or heard um, in large family events because they never say anything and no one knows? They can't stand ham and the you know and the person makes them ham every time they come over because they think they like it. You know whatever the case may be. You know how are they misunderstood? What things in their life are they giving up by doing nothing?
0: Hmm. I am a huge believer in the power of learning how to communicate effectively. Mm. I think and I'm, in my life, that's been the number one thing that's given me the biggest results based mm. on the effort that I've put into it. Mm. Is and being, why do
1: you think that is? Cause I think that's huge
0: because we are, like you said, not alone on an Island. And if you want to get things done, if you want to get the things you want in life, you got to learn how to communicate effectively with other people And most importantly, you can't serve others, as we're called to do, without being able to connect with other humans. And why the face-to-face is so important is because 80% of communication is body language. It's not even the words we say. It's everything else. And that, I think, is what triggers the brain, the the neurons. and.
1: uh, Okay, I've heard different numbers. Oh, really? It's probably higher. Well, this is what I've heard. So you, we'll just let, let the viewer just sure, decide. Sure. But I've heard it's 57% body language, yep. 38% tone. Yeah. And I was, I was combining and those then, two together. Oh, yeah. that's why. Okay, we're yeah. both on the same page. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And it's 7% words. Yeah, And
0: even with that's our right. instructors, we hyper-focus on the body language, mm. but also the tone, the voice. Mm. Being able to know when to use a higher pitch, when to use mm. that edgy tone, how fast you speak, how you slow you speak, mm. the volume, the pace, yes. the melody. Because if you don't work on that when you're speaking to somebody, they're not going to be interested after about five seconds, especially mm. with children, because they'll they'll tell you right in front of you <laughs> if they're interested or not. Yeah,
1: good. Because they point. start yawning
0: right in front of you and they look around they start looking around. So that's been something well, that
1: is wonderful. You go to that detail to teach them. What a gift.
0: Yeah. Oh, thank you. Uh I have to ask um, before we start wrapping this up, you never mentioned medicine as Mm -hmm. part of your treatment. Mm -hmm. Is that something that you guys prescribe?
1: Well, that would be psychiatrists. So, those Mm -hmm. are medical doctors. And I I work with all therapists. So, we are master's level clinicians. Um, But yes, we absolutely refer out for medication. I am not against medication at all. I've been on medication before. Um, I went to a Christian doctor and I'm like, I was having anxiety at the time. And I said, Feel horrible, like I know the skills. I teach the skills. I'm, I'm in count. You know, I'm like I'm a counselor, and yet I'm going to work, and I have this pin in my stomach every day, and I'm struggling with sleeping at night because so my mind's going like crazy. And I memorize, I'm I'm having my time with the Lord. I'm memorizing scripture, and he was wonderful. He said, Corey, if a little tiny pill helps you to function optimally the way God wants, don't you think God will want you to have it? Don't you think maybe God helped the God person who made this little pill? Mm-hmm. And that really helped me um, with that because there is genetic connections to anxiety, depression, other mental illnesses. What I do say is if you're on a medicine, you need to be going to counseling too so you can learn the tools so that maybe someday you don't need that medicine. Some people need it forever. Um, I was on it for, I don't know, 10, 15 years until my life really calmed down and now I'm not not on anything. Um and i do know i had the genetic genetic piece and 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 some people can get off some people can't get off but you absolutely need to do it with counseling so you're learning the mm-hmm. tools to not be dependent on it just in case maybe someday you can get off if if you know the the right tools
0: would you say that you want to use that counseling cuz then you well you can have that long-term goal in your mind i want to get off this medicine in the long term but if i don't then so be it, but maybe the goal is maybe I can get off of it too.
1: Yeah. I always, when I, I encourage someone, if someone is struggling with anxiety depression and we usually, we do some assessments and then we reevaluate in a month and see if there's changes, maybe we'll go one more month. And then we'll introduce the idea of maybe we should, you know, look into a psychiatrist and, and see what they say. I say, get on it for a year. Let's, let's do counseling, let's do all the tools for a year. And in a year if you want to try to get off of it, talk to your psychiatrist and and you can try and you could you could see what happens when you get off medication, because I've done it several different times, is you will feel more emotions more intensely. So I now can cry at the drop of the hat. where <laughs> I used to, I could cry some but now very, very sensitive. And I let people know that when you get off them, just so you know, you're gonna feel different things more intensely. You know, you have these tools and you can oh, you can see wow. see how you handle that and we'll see what you think.
0: Hmm. Never thought of that. I actually can connect with you a lot just because of the anxiety. When mm. I was younger, I mean, as long as I can remember, I've had that in me. Mm. I'd be laying in bed in cold sweats thinking I got some disease off of a public toilet.
1: Wow. So you had health anxiety.
0: Oh, yeah. And I don't know. I'm eight, nine, ten years wow. old. I'm like, I didn't make that up. Right. <laughs> And it's just something that naturally just you occurred. Had, that,
1: that was definitely something genetic or, yeah. or how you were made that, that right. was going on. Yeah. yeah.
0: And uh, so From I really word. appreciate all of your advice on that. So going with that, do you have a kind of a routine or I call them a life hack, something you do every day that maybe helps you get motivated, productive, or even on the right step to uh, starting off the day with uh, success?
1: Yeah, well, two things. One, time with God will always make my day a thousand times better. I'm sitting, I always have my cup of decaf coffee with my creamer and stuff, and I have a certain room I always sit in and I have a journal. Journaling's been a huge part of my healing process through things is to pause and a journal and tend to your soul and see what's going on inside with you and talk to God about that. And then um, I've really learned how to listen to God. Um, and that took years, you know, years of reading the Bible and memorizing scripture that now I will write firsthand back from God what I sense He's saying to me. Mm. And it's so powerful um, for me. And again, that was after years of reading the Bible and memorizing scripture that now scripture just comes up. Um, or or I'll sense something, you know, from him.
0: You know, you were spitting out that scripture and I was really (laughs) impressed. I'm still trying to get there.
1: (laughs) Good for you. We're we're all on the journey. Um, I've also gone, I've made a habit of going on silent retreats. Mm. So I used to do it yearly until we had children for like 12 years where I'd go up to a monastery. That was my favorite place. I'm not Catholic, but you would, you could go and just rent a room and, Practice disciplines of fasting and praying and being in scripture and, turn, and having those cell phones for a couple of days and, and really helped me to listen and I've learned some of the greatest um, healing uh, of different things and um and and things from the Lord have been from those those retreats I also have a spiritual mentor uh, we've been being for 15 years she's 82 years old mm. she comes to get she comes over every Wednesday and um we'll pray together, we do communion together and we've read different books together and we've gone through a lot of life. And then exercise, like I am so much better if I am, especially if I'm, if you're not gonna be on medication, you better be exercising <laughs> if you have anxiety. So.
0: I mean, God um, made us, made our bodies for a reason to yes, move yeah. and use them. So
1: if you're sitting all day, like again, I am so much more optimal if I, if I have, if I have some exercise to try to do that
0: hmm. you know, four times a week. How can people find out more about your business, Renew Counseling?
1: Uh, RenewKC.com is our website, and can give you any of the information you want there.
0: And this is for a child all the way up to an adult?
1: Uh, we don't see children as much. It's more adolescents and adults. So but what's if the you minimum a, age, youngest? I would say Twelve. We do have a couple of therapists who see kids, but if you have someone with a child, you can still reach out to us. And if we can't help you, we can, we have some great connections. Mm. We, one of our values is to be a resource for a community. So even if that's not us, we'll want to help connect you to a place that can help you.
0: Mm. What a blessing you've been on this uh, episode. I am so thankful for you giving your time for this. And oh,
1: thank uh, you. it's been been fun.
0: Thank you so much.